Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. Hey everyone, it's Rob here and welcome to episode number 21. This is a continuation of the antidotes to all of the ways that I either do or have done pre-race anxiety in the past. If you do want some background on this episode, it's definitely worthwhile listening to episode number 19, which is the recipe that I lay out of all of the strategies I actually use to give myself pre-race anxiety. And I do use that term, give myself uh, pre-race anxiety, because I do believe it's something that that um, is a result of something that we we do in our mind or our body rather than something that happens to us externally. And I believe that because if it happens to us, then we really have no control over changing it. But if you can take responsibility that we create it, then you know there's a way that we can undo it and, and create something else. And that's what all of these episodes are about. Uh, I have to, have to tell you, they've been tremendously helpful for me to firstly just open up that wound and and spill my guts out on all of the ways that I give myself anxiety and then to actually come up with the antidotes uh, that I've either used and or forgotten to use or I've learned or I've researched uh, preparing for these podcasts. So this is part two of the antidotes and we're up to uh, number five. I covered the first four ways in episode 20 and we're up to number five. So let's get stuck into the content. Number five was I visualized myself struggling on the course. So so imagine that it's a week before a race or a day before the race, the night before, and I, in my mind, I go, oh, no, I'm thinking about there. I can see myself. I'm walking. I'm struggling. I'm battling. I, I, you know, people are going past me, blah, blah, blah. This might even happen to you uh, six months before a race or three months before a race. And, and what I want to tell you about this one is, it's kind of a leading and overarching concept. You don't have to believe your thoughts. You don't have to believe the images or, or, or what your brain is showing you, literally. Because sometimes, obviously, your brain can't really um, accurately describe to you, um, yeah, logically. So sometimes it gives you a flash of an image to try and represent something. And that's kind of what I've worked out with, with this stuff. So back to the comment, I see myself, say, say it's three months out from the race and I'm training and training, you know, maybe it's going well, maybe it's not, um, whatever that means. But I have a picture in my head of me walking along a road where I should be running in a race, say it's an ultra marathon and I'm, I'm hoping to do really well. And then boom, my brain flashes up a picture of me head down, walking slowly, suffering in the heat, you know, tired, exhausted, I'm done. Everyone else is looking fresh as a daisy, passing me by, going, good on you, Rob, keep on going. And here's me just looking completely deflated and defeated. Now, you, I used to take that image literally. So I, my brain would show me this. I'd say, oh, that's going to happen to me. That's what's going to happen to me. Oh, this is my future. This is definitely what's going to happen to me. But what I've learned is to not take these literally, but take them as the, your brain signal to prepare so your brain is saying, hey, this could happen in this race, right? That's tremendously helpful to me because if I think that I can all of a sudden see the future, um, then I take it literally, it's kind of predetermined. But if I see it through the filter of my brain's helping me to prepare for what could go wrong, that is one of the key concepts 
of preparing for your race. So maybe I can look at that image instead of going, oh no, look at that, that's my future. I can say, what could lead to me walking along a road where I should be running really well with my head down feeling terrible? Well, I might not have had a good hydration strategy in place. I might not have had my nutrition in place. I might not have put sunscreen and a hat on and got heat heat stroke. Or I might not have had cooling strategy. So I haven't got my ice bandana. I don't have... um, you know, cool water to pour on my head or put on the inside of my arms or my hands, or I don't have an ice vest or whatever cooling I have. Or, contrary, I might not have had enough warm clothes and I'm freezing out there. And this image is kind of like showing me what to prepare for so that I don't end up in that place. Um, So as always, with, with the feelings and the images that we experience, it's so much better and more powerful to go towards them rather than pull away from them. It's so much more powerful to go, hey, this, even though this is uncomfortable, I'm going to look into this instead of going, oh, I don't want this. Show me another picture. Show me another picture. Or, or this can't happen. Um, this is just my brain being fearful and I'm not going to be like that. I'm, I'm tough and I'm going to push on. But instead of that, go towards the image and say, what is this all about? I don't like this, but I need to learn from it. Um, I do hope that's helped. Um, it's certainly helped me with laying out all of the things that could go wrong. I have mentioned before Tim Ferriss's fear setting exercise. If you Google Tim Ferriss fear setting, I think it's PDF. Uh, one of Tim's fans done a really good um, PDF on how you can write down basically all the things could go wrong and then what you're going to do to address those before they happen. And then if they still happen, what you're going to do to address them as they happen. Tremendously helpful if you're a triathlete, if you're a runner, if you're an ultra runner, if you're a human being and you're going for a new job or, or stepping up in some way and you want to preempt all of the possibilities that could go wrong and, and deal with them. So check that out. Um, having mentioned showing yourself another picture, there's a really good NLP um, Technique now NLP stands for neuro linguistic programming. If you want more information on this, check out Pete Shaw. He is the guru of NLP in Australia. One of the one of the you know best mindset dudes you'll find. So Pete Shaw's um, website is scaryandexciting.com, and Pete, you know, you'll go a long way to find a better, uh, more practical NLP teacher than Pete. So in when I when I worked with Pete. Um, he has this technique called a swish pattern. And basically, if you imagine that picture of me walking on the road or a picture of you failing in your desired goal, um, and it consistently comes up and you've gone into it, you've done all your preparation to try and avoid it, but the picture still comes up, then Pete uses this technique called a swish pattern where you build another image of what you want to see. And every time that old image comes up, you switch the images and then you switch them again and again and you do it like 10, 20 times in a row so that pretty much you're, you're just conditioning your brain that any time it flicks up that old picture, the new picture will replace it. So instead of seeing yourself, um, seeing myself walking on the road, head down, struggling, I see myself um, running really well, you know, head back, smile on my face, um, smashing it. Um, it's funny because I just have to laugh because about a minute ago I said, show me another picture and that's exactly this technique. But So I would use these as a step one, step two. Step one, go into the image, find out all the ways you can prepare and then step two, once you've got all the learnings out of that initial image, then change the image to be more empowering and, and, and you know more of more confident image for you to go towards.
All right, let's move on. Um, number six was overestimate my competitors. I think I mentioned um, this comes from Claudine Shishpratish, an amazing mindset coach um, in Australia, 14-time Australian karate champion. Um, and I learned this from her, overestimating my competitors. And I absolutely do that. So you're looking on the start line or even before you might be you know, looking at the participants list, um, if you do that before a race or you hear about someone's going in, you're like, oh, that guy's going in or she's going in. I could never beat her. I could never beat him. He's a beast. What am I thinking, you know? Oh, he's got me covered already. So um, this is one way to completely give yourself anxiety. And I'm going to go down this path just to give you a different perspective here. There's a theory in psychology, mainly from Jungian psychology, so Carl Jung, called uh, projection. And basically, Jung, um, Jung's theory is very, very, very well um, supported now, is that your internal reality is based on your perception rather than reality of what's happening out there. So his term was perception is projection. So what does this actually mean? If you're, let's just say, picture that person, that competitor in your mind, who you think, oh, they are, they are just the best competitor. There's no way I could beat them. No way I could beat them. And make it, make it someone real for you in, in triathlon, in swimming or cycling or, or, or in running or whatever it is. And picture that person. Now, what I want you to do is just name three things that they're good at. So maybe three traits that they've got that you really well, that leads you to say that they're better than you and you couldn't possibly beat them. So when I think of my my competitor, I just think he's relentless. Like He would never give up. He's completely like got so much strength and he's so mentally strong and he trains the house down. So, so those three things would be relentless, mental strength, and just trains more than anybody I know. So... They're, they're the three attributes that I have projected onto this guy that I say I could never beat, right? So the, that's kind of step one. So I hope you got at least one, two, hopefully three attributes that you project onto this other person. Now, whether or not they're true doesn't really matter because the next step is to own them. Because in Jungian psychology, the projection says that you project all of your traits and your unwanted parts onto somebody else so that you could admire them, those things in another person. I'm going to say that again because this is a bit of a truth bomb. You project all of the parts of yourself that you don't want to own onto somebody else so that you can admire them in somebody else. Now, these can be good attributes or not so good attributes. So the person that you hate might... Um, represent all the, all the things of yourself that you don't want to own, right? They, they might be selfish, they might lie, they might, um, I don't know, whatever. They might talk too much, they might blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get too far into this because it can be a bit of a stab in the guts for, for you. But what I'm saying is try this on. Are you putting parts of yourself that you don't want to own onto this other person so that you can then admire them. Because let's take what I'm doing. Is this guy really more relentless than me? And, and, and am I actually a relentless competitor with strong mental strategies um, who trains the house down, 
but I'm scared of owning those traits because if I own them, then what? Let's just say I take on those things now. I'm going to do it right now because it's very vulnerable for me to do this now. If I take on those three traits, I've got no excuses. I could, I could win. I could be the best. If I own those things, then I, you know, I have to step up. But if I push them on to this other guy and say, oh, he's too this, he's so much better than me than this, he's got this and this and that, I haven't got it, then I've kind of got that, oh, you know what, you know, I was never going to beat him or he's got that, I haven't. And I get to play safe. So I just wanted to offer this as a different way of looking at it because maybe you see your competitors better than you because you're actually scared of your own brilliance. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Here's a bit of a... Another truth bomb. All right, um, let's go on to number seven. Underestimate my abilities and my successes. So I think that kind of leads on to the, from the past one where you overestimate other people and you underestimate yourself. But what, what I really wanted to talk to you about here was um, if you're minimizing or underestimating your own abilities, I'm just I'm still just recovering from what I just said that, <laughs> about that projection because it can be really confronting to actually own the parts of yourself that you know that you 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 are ashamed of or you're un, wanting unwilling to own because if you do, then you know you you can be a magnificent and that comes with a whole range of other fears of judgment and failure and success and you know, loss of friends and blah, 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 judgment, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so, so number seven, underestimate or minimize my abilities and past successes. So I've, I've mentioned before my brain has a strong deletion pattern, which does serve me quite well um, in life. So what that means is I don't hold on to anything from the past. Like if I don't hold grudges, I, I don't, you know, I actually kind of forget things that have happened because and I'm more future-oriented than, than past. Um, but the, the, the bad side of that for me is I, I do forget my good performances from the past. I do forget where I excelled. I do forget how good I can be when I when I'm, you know, really go after something and, and put it all out there. And that's something that I, I have worked on and I continue to work on in my life is putting my attention on where I have performed well and kind of value and appreciated those things so one of the things I did I used to put all my race medals and um, trophies just in a box in the attic (laughs) and sometimes the kids would play with them and smash them and all that kind of stuff and then when I kind of realized that I did this I made one of those metal you know those metal hanging boards and I put all my medals up there and that's you know when I first did it I was I kind of cringed when people walked in because there's my running medals on the wall and but I realized it was so healthy for me to look at them and go, oh, yeah, that's right. I did that race in that year. And I, I, and then I have a few flashes of memories of things that happened or people that I met or how I performed and, from that race. And then the next time I walk past it, I see another one. And I go, oh, wow, I forgot about that race. You know, that was 10 years ago now. But, gee, I, I reckon, you know, I, I forgot about that. And so I'm building this kind of diary or this record of the things that I've done. Without that, my mind tells me so mean. It's so mean that you know this is kind of like it's almost like the first time I'm doing a race again. It deletes everything I've done in the past, and it's like 
oh, I don't know if you can do this, when I've, you know, got many, many, many examples of where I have. So if you're underestimating and minimizing your abilities, it's time to, to put your attention on what you've done in the past, including your training, the races that you've done in context for what you're doing, but also if you've done things in life, like you build a business or you've had kids or, you know, you've got through, uh, you know, medical um, problems or, or conditions and you've overcome barriers. Every one of those things can be a building block in the wall of your kind of confidence and your belief. There is a really good, again, NLP technique called the circle of excellence, where you imagine yourself standing in front of like a, almost like a hula hoop um, on the ground of, of, of all of the good things you've done in your life or all of the good attributes you've got. And then, you know, you play some cool music and you step into the, into the uh, hula hoop and you just kind of embody all of these things, all these memories flush your body with you know good emotions, the time that you crossed the finishing line, the time that you overcame adversity, the time that you achieved, and you, and you build all of these things into your body again and you step out and then you step in again and you build it again and again and you're basically um, building that neural pathway in your mind of, um, of, of your past successes. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, number eight was focus on weaknesses. So when you focus on your weaknesses and you take those into your mind, uh, guaranteed to give yourself pre-rest anxiety. Um, ben Crow, the, um, so Ash Barty's mindset coach, um, Dylan Orcott, Steph Gilmore, um, you know, um, the AFL players, Trent Cotchen, um, and Dusty Martin, um, those guys. So, so Ben Crow is the kind of mindset coach behind those great Australians. And He's got this great saying that he says, your mind is Teflon for positive things and Velcro for negative things. And, and that really helps me understand why I would focus on my weaknesses going into a race. So if I'm going for a race, say I'm going for a high altitude race, I'll remember the time that I climbed Mount Kinabalu in, um, in Borneo and almost... <laughs> And just could, could hardly take a step forward once I went over 3,000 meters. And I'll always remember how much that hurt and how much I struggled. And that's, that's, that's that Velcro for negative experiences, trying to take one step once I got above 4,000 meters. And if you, if you live at attitude or you've, you perform well, you're probably laughing at the low. I mean, we're, we're talking about what, nine, 10,000 feet to, to 12, 13,000 feet, which is not, not a great deal when you compare to some of the races overseas. But I'll always remember struggling with attitude. Um, and it takes a bit of work for me to go to those positive memories of, of actually climbing it and the scenery and getting to the top and then, you know, all those amazing memories of Mount Kinabalu. But it's, my brain's very quick to show me uh, the negative experience. So I wonder if you do the same thing. And if not... Um, so if you do do the same thing, just remember that your brain hangs on to negative things to protect you from them happening again. And again, you don't, have, you don't have to believe the first memory or the first thing that your brain shows you. You can control it and say, hey, yeah, that happened. That one bad thing happened in that race, but I'm going to now show you 10 good things that I did. And that's the work that it takes you to do consciously to get over that one. Number nine, focus on past failures and mistakes. For example, where I haven't reached my goals and everything. Um, so this is basically, 
so so again, paint the picture. It's 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 a week before the race or a month before the race, and and you're thinking, oh, you know, there was that race where I didn't finish. There was that race where, um, I tripped and fell, and then I was that race that I just I set a big goal and I didn't achieve it, and so and your brain starts to show you all these reasons of why you're a loser and why you're a failure and why you're you know dreaming too big and you're never going to make it, and this really is a conversation to have with yourself that success isn't linear. It doesn't start at the bottom left corner and go on a straight line to the top right on an on a XY axis. It's that cyclical up and down, forward and backwards, success, failure, two steps forward, one step back. And really, if this is what you kind of battle with, it is time to go out and research people who have overcome adversity specifically better if it's in your sport like if you're a triathlete and and you know just going back to the 80s um oh now i'm, I'm gonna struggle but i'm pretty sure it was mark allen um when dave scott scott tinley and mark allen used to battle out all those amazing kona iron man and, and forgive me i don't know too much i just remember watching them as a kid but, but you know mark allen failed many many times before he became you know the the beast of a triathlete that he was and still is, and 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 we sometimes forget that we we sometimes just see the highlight reel, but if you can pick someone and and really go into their failures and where they pushed too hard, where they went out too hard, or, or where they um you know failed DNF'd and had to go away in the ambulance and 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 just to remember that you you're putting yourself in the line in these sports it it's vulnerable it's risky and. And just because you didn't finish a race once doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean that. It just means that, you know, you, you're going to reach greater heights um, if you understand that failure is part of the journey. And and this has really helped me um, to understand why my brain would actually focus on past failures and mistakes and try and drag me down. Because ultimately, your brain, the lower part of your brain, wants to keep you safe. That's the number one thing. I, I have heard neuroscientists say that four times a second, your brain is scanning the world, asking the question, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? So when you say, hey, we're going to do an Ironman, your brain's like, danger, danger, danger. Let's try and stop this person from doing that. And by one of the ways we're going to do it is show them all of the ways that they failed in the past to try and just get them to watch more Netflix. That is safe. Right, number 10, uh, let the mind run free and not challenge my thoughts. Um, oh, I have to admit, this has been a huge learning for me this year. Your brain, if you can use the analogy of a barrel of drunk monkeys that kind of are at the controls of your brain, or even just one monkey, sometimes it just helps to picture one monkey, is just up there, um, basically throwing out all these random thoughts. So all the thoughts you're having throughout the day are just coming from the random control generator. Um, uh, and they're normally the same thoughts over and over again. So here's the thing. You don't have to believe those thoughts. They're not the truth. And you can challenge them. You can change them. You can question them when you decide to take the brain off autopilot. In the last race I did, I was moving up, so it's a 100k race, I was 6th place 
into the halfway mark. I, I was moving quite well. And in the back end of the race, I'd moved into fourth and you know, getting to the pointy end of the field, I I was running on a single track through the bush. I'd just taken fourth position and I knew the guy was pretty hungry to try and chase me. Um, I was running down a single track and I was running really well um, considering you know, we were around about a 65k mark of this race. And I remember feeling the fear of him catching me again and then would I be able to fight it out with him? Did I have it in me? All that kind of stuff. And I remember looking over my shoulder to see if he was there. And as I did, I stopped myself and I said to myself, I can only control what I can control. Basically, I can't remember the exact words, but it's like, I can't control that guy. All I can control is what I'm doing. And I got back to my, I had a 14-1 ratio of run-walk. So 40 minutes running, one minute walking. And I just turned my head straight. I put my attention where I was going. And I just went back to all I can do is focus on this strategy. And this might sound really simple to you, but for me, it was a huge awakening that in that moment, I went from fear of being run down uh, and and you know losing the position I just taken to complete peace and and strength and certainty that this is all I can control. I've got a race strategy and that's all I can do is stick to it. Um, and the result was I ended up putting two and a half hours on the guy over the over the resolving um, thirty five k's. So um, that was a big lesson for me that those thoughts in your mind you can. Take the autopilot button off at any time you want and bring in the thoughts that you want. All right, moving on. Um, I'm just going to go to number 12, have no mantra in place because that kind of relates. The, the, the way to take your mind off autopilot, a way to take your mind off autopilot besides meditation and all those things is, is a mantra. Now, in meditation, sometimes you do get given a mantra, so it's such in transcendental meditation where you're given either a sound or a saying or something to bring yourself back to the breath and back to the moment and let the th- thoughts flow out on the water, um, waterfall or, or whatever analogy you're using. And in the race, it's the same thing. So if you can build a mantra, and, and I've used a few in the podcast before, I like Emma Murray's one, which is I can do hard things. Um, so, you know, I can do hard things or in just those words that mean something to you, not not to me, but, you know, I'm running easy, flow, with flow, I'm relaxed. Um, just bringing those words in, uh, listen to the birds or, you know, I am so lucky or <laughs> whatever mantra. Um, didn't have a good crack there, but um, whatever, whatever is, is a mantra for you to get yourself out of autopilot, to stop that, stop the monkeys in control, use your mantra, bring you back to something that you can control. Now, we skip one, which is number 11, which was let my attention run free. Um, episode 14, uh, I talk about how to control your focus and your attention as you're running. One of the best things that I've learned uh, is these four control or attention channels, a broad, narrow, internal, external. Definitely suggest you go back to episode 14. Um, it's a critical skill, I believe, to be able to control this and to know your preferred channel. 
There's a great book, The Brave Athlete. If you haven't read it, it's well worth getting for mental strategies. And um, um, they, they break down this really well. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's basic psychology stuff. But if you don't know what your preferred channel is, maybe do some research or listen to episode 14 to find out what it is. Because once you know what your preferred channel is, you can do two things. You can optimize your preferred channel and you can learn to bring in and use the other channels. For example, if you're always focused uh, narrow, that's good if proven to be good in short races or going for short-term goals or sprints or, or um, you know, quick races. But if, if you're doing a long race, you really want to be able to ex- um, change your focus to broad, external, that periphery of vision because that's when your body goes into more of a relaxed state. The heart rate drops. You go into more of that parasympathetic um, state than when you're using your foveal vision or your narrow focus, which does um, you know, increase arousal, increases um, readiness. So you don't want to be ready in a 30-hour race. You want to be able to shift it to the to soak in the surrounds and use your periphery, peripheral vision and be able to move internally and externally. So de- definitely worth um, doing. I'm just going to cover two more uh, and then we'll call it quits and I'll do the last ones in number three of this. Number 13 was not knowing my preferred strategy is in am I an introvert or an extrovert? And I use the example of the pre-race expo Um like a big marathon or a big triathlon, uh, you'll have the expo and you'll have, you know, all of the shops and a lot of hype and you might have the pre-race interviews with all of the race ambassadors or the or the people who are hoping to win it, you know, expected to win it. And they'll be giving you their top three tips from the stage and there'll be people all hyped up and excited about the race. You might be staying, there might be one hotel near the start room, start line where you're like surrounded by so many of the competitors, and they're all talking and buzzing. Now, that's great if you're an extroverted person who loves that kind of stuff. And if you love the, the start line with the announcer who's got the, you know, on the PA and pumping everybody up for this is what you've been waiting for and this is the day to be great and, you know, today is your day and leave no whatever, stone unturned, all those cliches come out. If you're an introvert like me, like I hate that stuff. <laughs> It just gets me anxious and I, I don't like talking to everybody about what they've done and how prepared they are for the race. And it just makes me, you know, want to curl into a cave like a hermit and get away from everyone. And so I'm just going to say to you, it's okay to not stay in that hotel near the start line. It's okay to stay further away where, where you've got your own quiet place. It's okay not to go to the pre-race expo apart from picking up your race pack. It's okay to go at a time where there's not going to be many people there so you can get your race pack and run away before you see that person, you know, <laughs> that you don't want to see. It's okay to wear a hoodie to the start line with headphones in with your favorite, you know, music or 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 um visualization on. It's okay to know yourself and to use that to have yourself in the best possible state before the race. Um I don't think I need to say too much more about that. Uh, yeah, cool. And number 14, no self-belief. Ouch. Um, this is one that I used to do really, really well, and I do a lot of work on. And like I said, it felt like every race is my first, and I wasn't sure if I could actually do it. 
I'm going to refer you to a bit of a rabbit hole. Tim Ferriss again um, taught me this way back in the day. I think it was maybe a four-hour work week. Don't quote me on that. Or on his blog back in early 2000s. He talked about two types of confidence. I can't remember what he called them. Um, Basically, one was um, constructed confidence and one was um, historical confidence. So what what it means by that is if you're... Just set a big goal. Let's just say you want to um, qualify for Kona um, Ironman, the world champs, and your brain Im- immediately tells you, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? You haven't done this, blah, 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 blah. goes on the big rant about how you're not good enough. Your job is to build the belief in yourself. Now, there's a few levels you can build belief. I actually do another podcast on this episode nine. Definitely worth listening to just to, to get the, some more questions around how to build belief. But if you think about... Belief is at one level, which is, well, I can do that, monkeys or brain. Look at this. I've done this Ironman. I've done this swim. I've done this training. I've been training for this many years. I've done, you know, this many half Ironmans. Uh, men, uh, what's the t- Ironman? Ironmans? I don't even know the plurals. Um, the, I've done this, 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 and you're listing them all out. So you're building, you're building a historical level of confidence that says, you're wrong, monkeys. Have a look at this. I can achieve this, right? But you need to put your attention on it. You need to put your focus. You need to build that up so that the monkeys don't just laugh at you. You want them to go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, you still can't do it and have no nothing to go back on, right? So you're building up the historical confidence. Now, the constructed one was more like, well, I can do, I can do that Iron Man because I've built a business from nothing or I've started at the bottom in this... Um, in this company, and I've worked my way up to wherever I am now. Or, you know, I never thought I was going to have a loving relationship, and look at me now. I've got a partner, and we're building this life. Or, or I've, you know, X, Y, Z, you put in something that you've built that's not actually contextual to an Ironman, but it says, because I've done that, then I can do this as well. Now, so that's Tim's kind of way to build your belief in that. Um, there's another level, which is the identity level of belief. So it's a bit lower. So it's the I am statements. So I am, and then building up those, I am capable. I am committed and, and starting to use those things. You can you, you can say, you can take on the belief. This is the ultimate. I am a world, what's the Kona, um, the world championships. I am, um, I just try to build the actual identity. I am a competitor at the world championships for Ironman. And taking on that belief, right? And taking on the I am instead of the I think I can or um, if I have the great day, I could actually qualify. It's going one step deeper than that and saying, I am an Iron Man already. I am a, a, a competitor uh, for the world champs. I am a triathlete. I am a swimmer. I am a runner. I'm a cyclist. I'm a triathlete. And the I am statements, the identity statements, and if you read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, this is where he talks about. Because if you are a triathlete and you embody that, then they're the type of people that get up early, that do their training sessions, that eat the right way, that do their recovery, that get enough sleep, and do the things that, it has to, that they have to do to get their outcome. But if you don't take on that identity then you're going to keep fighting with the barrel of monkeys who say, you're not a triathlete, you're a 
computer data entry guy. Who do you think you're going to be going to Kona and, and, and competing against the world? So if you're a computer entry data guy, um, whatever I said, computer data entry guy, then it's time to, to start building that belief of, yeah, I'm that from in the daytime, but I'm also this. And I'm also a husband, a wife, a, a brother, a sister. And taking on the identity of the outcome that you want and the type of person that gets that outcome. All right, so we're getting to the end. I'm going to say goodbye now. That was part two of the antidotes to the pre-race anxiety. And I'll do a part three where I take on the remaining um, five or six ways that I did (laughs) anxiety. There were 20 different ways. No wonder why I was so good at it. 20 different ways to give myself pre-race anxiety. All right, I hope you're getting something out of these. I love your feedback. Mind uh, athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com thanks so much for listening there's so many podcasts out there that you could be listening to but you chose this one and for that I'm so grateful and um, and my commitment to you is to always give you um, quality information and try not to waste any words that um, it's just going to make you a better athlete and ultimately a better person all right see you in the next one Thanks for listening to the Mindset for Runners podcast. I hope you got something useful and practical out of this episode. If you have a question around the mindset of runners or athletes in general, please email me athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com and I'll answer your question on an upcoming podcast. And if there's anyone you know who could benefit from the information I share in these podcasts, please share it with them. See you next time.